everyone, welcome to Health Addicts. Remember, this show is just for entertainment purposes only, meaning I'm not your doctor. So if you have questions about anything related to your health, gotta ask your doctor, okay? Otherwise, enjoy the show and enjoy the content. Man, how many carbs are too much carbs? Am I getting enough sleep? Am I even supposed to be taking vitamins? I guess I better listen to The Health Addict Show. Topic, guys. Welcome to Health Addicts, everybody. It's good to have you today. I'm your host, Tommy J. And like I say, we have a good topic today. We're actually going to talk about hearing and something we kind of all take advantage of. It's one of the five ways that we sense our surroundings between touch and taste and seeing. And hearing is probably one of those things we kind of forget that we are lucky to have to be able to hear our surroundings. I mean, just think about everything you even have to do in a day. You'll have to have conversations with people. You'll listen to some pretty cool music or probably a really good podcast. You might have a good TV show that you watch after work. So hearing is a pretty important part of our life to be able to hear our surroundings. Or even more importantly, if a car is coming at you really fast and you need to get out of the way. If you lose your ability to hear, it inhibits your entire surroundings by quite a bit. All right, guys, let's kind of dive into this. So what's the best way to define hearing? The most easiest yet complicated way to describe it is the ability to perceive or detect vibrations and see the changes in pressure through a medium, which is our medium is our ear. Our ear is able to detect the changes in vibration, convert it into pressure, and send electrical signals to our brain so that we can better understand the sound. So let's kind of dive more into this. Uh, it's probably gonna be a lot of anatomy physiology here. So if you want to skip ahead, you can, but this is gonna be a really good understanding of how you actually hear something. So you have an object that's vibrating and these vibrations send through the air particles in the air. And then those particles transfer to more air particles and this creates a sound wave. And then that sound wave is transferred to our ear, which we have three parts. We have the outer, the middle and the inner ear. And on the outer ear, you have something called the pinna, in which the pinna is the funnel. The funnels all that sound wave into our ear canal, and the ear canal transfers it to the inner, or the middle ear, excuse me. If you've ever seen somebody with cauliflower ear, like a wrestler or a boxer or an MMA fighter, that actually inhibits the way their outer ear, the pinna, is able to funnel the sound in. So it actually causes a little bit of deprivation if you have cauliflower ear. So now that that sound wave has traveled down the ear canal to our middle ear, it's hit the tympanic membrane, or better known, you might know, is the eardrum. Connected to that tympanic membrane are your inner ear bones, and these inner ossicles actually help transfer the sound. So what happens is the sound hits the tympanic membrane, it travels through those inner ear bones, you have three of them, the malleus and stapes, and it takes that pressure and it actually increases the vibratory effect to the inner ear. So the job of it is to amplify the sound, and it does it up to 20 times stronger than when it hit the eardrum. And that might seem weird, but it's actually simple physics. The eardrum is a much larger surface area than the stapes, that bone that touches the cochlea in the inner ear. So what happens is the energy is transferred from a large surface area to a smaller surface area, and that's how the sound is amplified. And one more part in the middle ear before we get to the inner ear is the eustachian tube. And this is a very important part of the middle ear because it helps relieve pressure. 
and it's linked to your nasal pharynx. So when pressure starts building, your station tube's job is to relieve that pressure. Otherwise, it'd be a closed system and you can actually build too much pressure up in there and it won't be relieved and can cause a lot of problems with your hearing. So sometimes when you have a cold and you notice that you're getting stuffed up, you can't hear as well, it might be that your station tube is blocked and it isn't relieving pressure as easy. All right, enough of that. Now to the inner ear. So now in the inner ear, the state piece is touching what is called the cochlea. And the cochlea is where the vibratory message is changed into a pressure message. The pressure is by the stapes pushing on the cochlea and the fluid inside the cochlea pushes down on these little hair cells. And the hair cells is what transfers the information in these nerves to the auditory nerve and to the brain where it's actually interpreted. I know that was a lot. I know some of you are probably really, really confused because it's hard to really explain without a good visualization as well. But just know that that cochlea is filled with fluid and it's pushing down on these little hairs. It's actually hairs inside the cochlea. And then nerves are attached to these hairs and the brain is interpreting the pressure pushed on these so it can measure sound. Now there's actually another organ in the inner ear that isn't really related to hearing, but it's called the vestibule. And there's semicircular canals and inside these there's also hairs, but it's not for hearing. It's for balance and it measures the shift of your head and gives a, a message to the brain of your positioning of whether you're tilting left to right, up and down, or even at an angle. How many of you remember when you were really young and you decided to spin really, really fast in one direction? It's actually inside these semicircular canals that tells your brain that you're dizzy and needs to stop and that continues to have that feeling you're still twirling even though you stopped. That's where it's actually measured. Whew, that was a lot of anatomy physiology, I know. And I'm gonna stop right there. But if you wanna know more about it, just hit me up in a message or comments and we can talk more about it. But we can kind of get on to the more physiological and the pathophysiology to hearing. It was also kind of important that I talked a little bit more about the anatomy this time, just because I want you to have a better understanding of the pathophysiology, the disease processes that happen with hearing. And if I talk about some of these diseases, it's going to be better understood if you understand what part of the ear is being affected. Because you have three stages of your ear that are affecting hearing, and it could be either one of those stages or it could be all three for that fact. So I'm sorry if it was a little heavy, but I just really want to get into the disease process so you can better understand it because hearing is so important. So as we kind of stated, hearing loss is a major problem and the effects of hearing loss because most of the time it's permanent. It's hard to repair these little inner ear bones or the nerves that run in your ear to repair hearing. So it's very important to understand why we need to protect our hearing so much and why it's so complicated to fix our hearing. And the first type of hearing loss is sensory hearing loss. And this more is the inner ear. This has to do with that cochlea and the cochleal nerve and how we actually interpret the pressure changes. So whether it's you've been listening to too loud of music for long periods of time and those hairs are deafened or a virus actually attacked the hair cells that are inside the cochlea or you have what is called a an acoustic neuroma, which is a tumor that's building around the cochlea. These are things that decrease our actual sensory to sound. And that's what is in that category. 
The second type is just a little bit more easier to understand because it's conductive hearing loss. So it's anything that actually affects the middle part of the ear or the actual ear canal. So anything that's the eardrum, those little ear bones that transfer the vibrations or the conductive part of the ear canal, any, anything that deafens the sound's performance moving through the ear. Um, this can be any sclerotic changes to the bone or otosclerosis. We can have damage to the eardrum or a ruptured eardrum. That would definitely affect us, and it's pretty painful. So I wouldn't recommend that one. Another big one is like earwax buildup, as disgusting as it sounds, or a bug being actually burrowing in there, or any kind of object more or less being inside the ear canal. So this is more importantly the way we conduct sound. Type 3 is pretty simple to understand because it's a mix. You can have both. You can have inner ear problems, middle ear problems, and outer ear problems. And this actually is how type 3 is described because you can have both, whether it's fluid in the ear and compression to those hair cells. It's more just a mix of both. And finally, the last one is type 4. And this is probably the most complicated one. And this is actually a problem with the brain interpreting the sound. So you might have everything going okay with how the sound is conducted, transferred, and the actual nerves transferring the message to the brain, but then the brain just isn't comprehending the information that's given to it. So this one's a little bit harder to diagnose, but it is actually still a type of hearing loss. So it's kind of important to understand sound. And sound is measured in something called decibels. And the higher the decibel is, the louder the sound is. So whether it's like a whisper, which is about 30 decibels, your refrigerator runs about 40 decibels, a normal conversation is about 60, your dishwasher runs about 75, a crowded area or auditorium is probably about 85, a motorcycle driving by is 95. A chainsaw, which we know is pretty loud, is about 110. And explosions, gunshots, firecrackers, fireworks are about 145 to 160. And these are really dangerous sound levels at those levels, especially over anything that's about 70 for long, long periods of time can have lasting damage on the hair cells or even more importantly if it's a very loud sound for real quick like an explosion it can cause proliferations or damage to your eardrum just because it can only handle so much vibration and eventually it will actually tear the eardrum now don't worry the eardrum actually does heal it takes about six to eight weeks but it's very painful and you want to limit things that increase pressure especially through your eustachian tube we were talking about like blowing your nose but I wouldn't recommend it. It takes six to eight weeks is a long time to have deafening hearing in one ear, or you could even do both if it sounds loud enough. All right, so you understand how physiology works in the ear. You understand sound. Let's talk about some of the disease processes that happen with hearing loss. And the first one is tinnitus or ear ringing. I'm sure a lot of people have had this before. It's, there's a million and one reasons that cause tinnitus. And tinnitus can even happen with a shift in pressures, and that could be even blood vascular pressure or even changes in pressure as you move up and down in elevation. But lasting long tinnitus or ear ringing can actually be a warning sign to many other problems that can be nerve, conductive, or even cancerous. So if you have a lot of tinnitus, it's actually a good idea to get checked out by an audiologist, and that's a person who actually diagnoses hearing diseases. The second one is age. Age is a big factor in hearing because over time those hair cells that measure sound are just not as effective, especially over 65. 
And in fact, people with the age of greater than 75, one in two people report hearing problems. So it definitely plays a factor in your age for your hearing. Another big factor is noise-induced hearing loss. And this is pretty basically simple. If you're exposed to large, long, loud noises, whether it's a construction site, a factory, or using any kind of heavy machinery, and you're not wearing the proper hearing protection, it's gonna have long-lasting effects on your ears. And this goes for more than just working around industrial equipment. This works for people who work in large crowded areas, parks that are just extremely loud with lots of people, and also rock concerts. I haven't been to a rock concert yet where the music isn't loud, which, I mean, it's more enjoyable for me, but it's probably not good for your hearing. Another big one is genes. There's actually many gene sequences that are related to hearing loss. I won't get too in-depth because it's really hard to explain the actual gene sequences that go along with it, but there's actually hereditary components in people with hearing loss. There's, if you have this certain gene sequences, you're more likely to lose your hearing over time. Another less common one is Meniere's disease, and this is actually a fluid buildup in the inner ear and middle ear, and it can cause a lot of hearing loss and also vertigo, which is dizziness, because it's affecting those semicircular canals we were talking about. So a good thing to understand is a lot of times when there's any inner ear problems, it can actually affect your balance as well. So it's kind of a good understanding that if you have any kind of vertical or balance issues while having tinnitus or ear aches, it might be the inner ear problem. Another one is just any kind of damage to the nerve, which is also known as auditory neuropathy. So if you have damage to the auditory nerve, it's just not going to transfer information anymore and you're not going to be able to decipher sound. So there's actually a lot more diseases out there. I'd like to hit them, but there just isn't enough time to hit them all. But if you have one that you want to talk about or put in the comment section, you're more than welcome to and we can start up another thread about that. But we can kind of move past the pathophysiology part for right now. So where is hearing at in modern science today? Um, it hasn't really progressed as much as it could in the last 20 years, but the biggest thing that we have now are cochlear implants. And these devices are fantastic. And the main purpose is, is to repair the cochlea and how information is transferred to the cochlea and into your nerve. And the most simplest way to explain it is, it bypasses the damaged portions of the ear and directly stimulates the auditory nerve. And this isn't something that can just be put on regularly like a hearing aid. It actually has to be attached to the cochlea and then you have a microphone and a transmitter that transmits all the way to the electrical array that's around the cochlea. And that's how the sound is now interpreted. Now understand this though, it doesn't sound the same as what we did with our eardrums. So you pretty much have to relearn how to hear and to interpret the sounds again. Another great device that we have are hearing aids and we've been using them for a long time, but they only work if you have enough hair cells to actually transfer the information. Because understand this, you're only amplifying the sound more to better resonate with the hair cells that are still functioning. And you need the inner ones still to work. Because if you look at the cochlea, it looks like a snail shell. It's a nice spiral and you have inner and outer hairs. So if the outer hairs are the only ones that are damaged, you have still the inner hairs and the ear um, hearing aid still going to work for you. But if more of those hairs are damaged, the hearing aid is not going to be an effective way to get your sound back. But those are the two primary electronic fixes that we have for hearing. And like I said, they're not perfect, 
But if we can give any kind of sound back to anyone that's hard of hearing, that's the best way we can do it. Now remember, there's still conductive problems. So surgery actually can fix a lot of the conductive pathway problems, whether it's sclerotic changes to the bone and making sure those bones are loose again so they can vibrate more efficiently, or any kind of repair to that eardrum or tympanic membrane. So there is other surgical options or actually any fluid buildup that inhibits that conductive pathway, you can remove the fluid. But as far as actual damage to the hairs and how the pathway works past the conductive phase, there isn't a lot of options. I know what a lot of you are saying. Tommy, what about sign language? Unfortunately, sign language is getting more rare as it comes because cochlear implants are changing the way we hear. And unless you were completely deaf from birth or a little bit older generation, sign language isn't being used as much. And even though it's a great way for a lot of people to communicate, it's getting harder and harder to find people that who are able to sign. So sign language is great. I wish more people were learning it and we can use it more, but it's just not becoming as available as it used to be. All right, guys. So what's the major takeaways from this? If someone is having hearing problems, try to speak clearly or even ask them which ear is better for you to talk to them in. Because sometimes it's asymmetrical hearing loss and one ear might be better than the other. So try to converse with them with the better side of their ear. Two is just be patient with them. If they're having a hard time understanding you, trust me, it's more irritating to them than it is to you. And finally, maybe learn a few sign language moves. That way you can communicate with a patient or another person that does have hearing problems and you want to ask them how they're doing, how's their day, do you need anything? Because even a simple question answering like that, you can learn a lot from your person that you're talking to. And off my soapbox. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you all consuming the content. I hope you all have a great day. Stay addicted to your health and see you next time.